0: or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. My name is Greg. I am so honored to be with you guys this morning. Um, you know that your pastor is a man of faith when he invites someone he's never met to come and preach. That <laughs> just that's a that's a bold power move I love it um, I am a, a lead pastor myself so I'm like I'm like there's a little bit of nerves in that I'm like there's a, there's a lot of crazy people out there that can come and say some crazy things so let's just hope I'm not one of them okay we're just we're just all gonna believe together I'm not one of them um, I'm really excited to be here I'm excited to be out at camp this week um, my wife and I as well as being lead pastors of a church we run an organization called legacy one where we go into uh, schools all across Canada um, doing kind of more of like a mental health presentation, um, trying to empower kids to um, face adversity, overcome adversity. Um, It's not a faith based organization. It's not a Christian organization per se, even though it's deeply rooted in scriptures. Um, And so I thought if it's okay with you guys, one, it just like helps me like get rid of my nerves if I can like just go into my like natural element of doing poetry. Um, And two, it just might give you guys like a little brief tasting of what a lot of of my talks revolve around poems. Um, That's kind of how I got into poetry. I used to be a youth pastor and I was writing sermons all the time and I realized, hey, youth don't necessarily want to listen to me talk for 30 minutes, but if I can condense that into a five-minute poem, they might pay attention. And so that's kind of basically how I got into spoken word poetry and so I'm going to start this morning with a poem. Is that okay? You guys are with me? Okay. That was good. I'm gonna, I just gotta warn you guys, okay? So here's how this works. When it comes to spoken word poetry, if any of you have ever been to a poetry event, the way that you're supposed to respond if you hear something you like is you, there, see? Girls in the front, no, they know. You snap your fingers, okay? So everyone, come on, snap your fingers with me, okay? okay? So this is a way that you can actually engage with the poem. So if you hear something you like, you can snap your fingers. It's a way to show the poet that you're like appreciating the words that he's saying. So here we go. What if our faith was up for debate? And our answer determined our fate. And what if what we thought was so great turned out to be fake? Can we afford this mistake? Can we afford to say all the right words while failing to live out in action? Because our methodology is our spirituality, meaning our actions prove our spirit. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we're saved by works. We're saved by grace. But that grace must compel us to action, to be doers of the word, not just hearers of it. See, we can no longer recite scripture while cursing our brother, no longer stand and raise our hands while refusing to offer God all of our plans. We can no longer put I before he and we before him, falling into the same sin as Adam and Eve. We became them. We can no longer sit back in complacency, allowing the enemy to draw the battle line of attack, no longer able to play timid, because homie, God's love is vivid, strikingly bright and intense, right full of life. And we are called to be children of the light, to shine bright in the night. You don't light a candle and hide it under a bed. No, you put it on a stand for the whole world to see. Clearly, this is the way it was meant to be. God's love shining in us for the whole world to see. And the whole world is waiting, anticipating. Not just us. All of creation waits in eager expectation. So how about we take them to the cross? Where our Savior bled red and then said, it is finished. Death and its powers diminished. So I say to you, death, where is your sting? Couldn't even last three days in the ring. And now our Savior ascends as a king and sits at the right hand of the Father as the angels surround and sing, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was and who is and who is to come. And so my prayer becomes not my will, but your will be done. See, if you ask me to debate my faith, I'll point you to the one, the victorious son, and say this debate is already won because I can't use words to defend my faith, but watch my life and you'll see. I was a sinner, trapped in sin, but by his grace set free. So any faith that I have is because Christ has faith in me. All right, all right. Let's get into the word here. So you guys are on a little journey here, talking about the fruit of the spirit, which is very exciting. Wow, technology work, uh, which is really exciting. And I'm I'm just so honored to um, carry on in this conversation. I gotta say, FBC, you're kind of an intimidating church. How many of you showed up with Bibles this morning? I saw a lot of people walking out. That's an intimidating thing as a pastor. You walk in and everyone's carrying Bibles. Our church, they don't carry Bibles in our church anymore. they like, I got all these hipsters. They just like rock their iPhones. That's it. Their Bibles on the iPhone. I love that you guys bring the physical Word with you to church. Don't ever stop doing that. It's powerful. So, we are in Galatians 5.22. And I'm just going to read it here. 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. You guys have all covered this in the last few weeks, so now we're getting into some new territory here. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. Kindness. It is a word For myself and my wife in our life right now, that comes up multiple times on a daily basis. You see, we have just adopted a little girl. She is now one years old. And at, we got, we met her, she was 15 months when we met her. And at the baby home that she's from, they taught her this little saying. And it was, I am strong, I am, oh man, I forget it, clever, I'm strong, I'm clever, and I'm kind. And so for, since we met her at 15 months old, she understood this little saying and she would do the actions. I'm strong, I'm clever, I'm kind. But just because she knows the actions does not, know she, or does not mean she knows what that means. Okay, we've entered a new phase this week where our daughter has learned to be a biter. Yes, we got blessed with one of those. She has learned the new art form of when she doesn't like something, she will now bite. Okay? So I apologize for any of you who have kids over in the nursery right now. If they come out with the bite marks, it's probably my kid. Just blame us. Okay? We're, we're only here one week. Don't worry. It won't happen again. Okay? She's become a biter. Right? And we've been trying to work with her to understand this word, kind. Right? To actually understand the meaning of this word, kind. Because being kind is more than just being nice. If being kind we're just being nice that's just a surface level of what the kindness that we're talking about here the fruit that comes from the spirit of kindness is way deeper than just being nice see you can be indifferent to someone yet still be nice you can lack interest or concern about someone but still be nice to them but kindness that comes from the Spirit does not allow for indifference. It does not allow for lack of concern or interest. It requires a deeper understanding, a deeper level of insight that is beyond just being nice. and gives us a, 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 a way bigger perspective and understanding of what God means when He talks about the fruit of the Spirit and kindness. Because this is a fruit of the Spirit. Remember, this is not something that we can just self-will. This is not something we just can just determine ourselves to be kind people, to just work harder at being more kind. Have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever woken up one day and just said, I'm just going to be a nicer person. I'm just going to just be nice to everyone around me today. And then you get in the car to drive to work, and your wife has left it on empty, and you're just like, there goes that niceness. I just, this is, right? That never happens, right, babe? (laughs) My wife is notorious for just never wanting to put gas in the car, so I get I get the joy of doing it. That's what it is. I get the joy of doing it. Um, right? But it's like, there's, there's, there's just no possible way for us just to like, to self-will this kind of deep-rooted kindness. This isn't something we can just through hard work and discipline, find the kind of kindness that God is leading us into in this moment. And I think that the reality is if we're going to look at the kind of kindness that comes from the fruit of the Spirit, the place we should probably look is to Jesus. Which is probably a good place to start looking for kindness, right? Let's just Bible school answer. If you're ever in doubt, just turn to Jesus. So, John chapter 8. And I apologize. I did not get my verses here early enough, but I see you guys brought Bibles. So, John chapter 8 is where we're turning. Okay, verse 2 going on for till verse 11. But if you don't have your Bible, just sit back, listen, okay? The Word can still be powerful. You don't have to read it on a screen. John 8, 2. says, At dawn, He, being Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around Him. And He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, if we had, like, three hours together, we could, like, debate on what Jesus wrote in the sand. There's lots of theories out there. He wrote out the Ten Commandments. Some think that he actually wrote out the names of the people standing there, the list of sins that they had committed. I just think he was playing X's and O's. I think Jesus was just, like, he was just letting, this pro- letting them process what's going on here, and he was just drawn in the sand, playing X's and O's. That's a joke. I don't actually think he was doing that. Okay. So, Jesus stoops down. He's right in the sand, letting this sink in, right? He says, at this, those who heard... Began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Women, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, if you've been a follower of Jesus a long time, you know this story. It's a very common story. You've probably read it a couple hundred times, right? And we're, we're familiar with this reality. And I think a lot of times we read this story and we just think, man, that's it. If I could just be more like Jesus if I could just be more understanding of, of how to just love people well, how to just not condemn them and make them feel guilt and shame, but to love them well, yet still, you know, the end of that end statement, you know, go and sin no more, that I'm still really direct and honest with them. and can still point them towards truth. If I could just be more like Jesus in this story with the woman at the well, man, life would be good. See, the problem is that oftentimes when we read this story, we put ourselves in Jesus' place. But the point of this story is not that we are Jesus. The point of this story is that we are the woman—sorry, I said woman at the well. We are the woman caught in adultery. We are the one who has been brought before in judgment. We are the one who has been brought before with condemnation before Jesus— We are the ones deserving to be stoned. We are the ones who are broken and hurting. And oftentimes the enemy, our accuser, wants to bring us before Jesus and say, Look what they've done. Condemn them. Stone them. And what this story, when we truly grasp and understand, the beauty of it is that Jesus stands before us with all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of our darkness. And he says to us... I do not condemn you. I do not see you the way they see you. I see beyond just your behavior and your actions into something deeper. I see a love in you. I see a truth in you. I see a hope in you. And I do not condemn you. Now go and sin no more. See, in this story, we find the loving kindness of God. We aren't Jesus in this story. We are the woman caught in adultery And when we can understand and see that it's actually the loving kindness of God that steps into those moments where we want to be overwhelmed with with condemnation and shame, Jesus stands before us and he releases us and he sees something deeper and he acts out of loving kindness. It says in Titus chapter 3 verses 4 to 6, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 4, 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It seems like God is in this constant state of trying to remind us what he has done for us. It seems like the starting place For the fruit of kindness to show up in our lives is not self-will and determination, but it's actually a revelation of what Jesus has done for you. That that is actually the starting point to our kindness. It is the starting point to understanding the power of the fruit of the Spirit when it comes to kindness is to start in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I remember it was a couple of years ago I was at a camp actually, about to speak to a bunch of youth when the Lord showed me this verse and just spoke so deeply to me. It says, Greg, read that line again. It says, confess your sins. It said that's plural. It means there's multiple sins. It means there's more than one. See, I realized that I'd become very lazy in my repentance. I'd become very lazy in my attitudes towards my brokenness towards God. I got into this habit of just saying, hey God, forgive me for my sins. Pretending like everything was okay. Now let, me just, let me just bring this into human perspective for a second. Let's go to a fictional world where my wife is mad at me. It's fictional, doesn't exist, it's not not a real place, she's never mad at me, we have a perfect marriage, okay? Go to this fictional world with me where say maybe, you know, I've left the toilet seat up, or I forgot to put the laundry away, or the new one is my cans. I love bubbly, so I drink a lot of bubbly, so we got bubbly cans all over our house. I never put them away. That's like fictional though, remember it's fictional, This is in real life here, okay? and. I know that she's mad at me because you know, husbands and wives, you know when your partner's mad at you, okay? There's just, there's an aura. There's just, there's a presence that you just know. You don't, they don't need to communicate anything. They don't need to say anything. You just know, right? Now, how is Chantel going to feel if I walk up to her and I'm like, hey, babe, like, I'm really sorry. She's going to say, you're sorry for what? Right? And if I just start listing off all these things, well, the laundry, the, the cans, the toilet seat, the, the kids, like does she really believe that I'm sorry? No. Because I've yet to actually identify what has hurt her. I've yet to actually identify and truly repent from the action which has caused her and I to be at a rift between one another. That's not true sorry. That's not true forgiveness. That's not true repentance. That's me just spitballing things. And she realizes that I'm yet to actually be truly repentant of what it is that has caused that between us. So why is it that when we think of our Heavenly Father, we can just come before Him and just lob up these like grandiose statements like, God, forgive me for all my sins. Listen, Jesus doesn't need us to repent and confess our sins because He needs to know what we did wrong. Pretty sure He's got that one covered already. Pretty sure He knows He asks us to confess our sins because he's asking us, do you realize what you've done? Do you actually, are you actually aware of the brokenness that exists in your life? Are you aware of those little things in your life where you have gone astray, where you've walked off the path? See, Jesus isn't asking us to confess our sins because he needs to know them. He's asking us to do it because he wants to know that we're truly repentant. Because here's the beautiful thing. Listen, I know some of you might be already thinking like, this sounds a lot like legalism. I'm not talking about legalism, okay? I'm not talking about us writing out all of our sins and keeping note of them. What I'm saying is when we truly understand how beautiful the grace of Jesus is in our lives, when we recognize all of the areas in our lives where we have gone astray, where we have walked off the path on a daily basis, when we actually are intentional about forgiveness and seeking repentance from God, it is the most beautiful thing. Why do we think that Paul in the scriptures over and over again said, hey, of all the sinners, I'm the worst. Like, come on, Paul. That's like false humility, right? Like, you you got to be kidding me. Like, you wrote most New Testament. We know that, like, of all the sinners, you're definitely not the worst. But Paul understood that any little area in his life that brought him off the path of righteousness was enough for him to say, man, I'm in need of a Savior man, I am in need of the grace of Jesus. I am in need of the loving kindness of God. See, the fruit of the spirit of kindness is recognizing first what God has done for us. It's recognizing what God has done for us. See, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a self-proclaimed, um, I just shouldn't say self-proclaimed, I'm an evangelist. That's a word that I've always used to describe myself. Now don't worry, it's not like megaphone on the street corner preaching hate to people, okay? What it means is that I just want to see people come to faith in Jesus. I just, that's my passion in life, is that people would know the grace of the Father. But I'll tell you how I do it. Is that I say, I am first in need of that grace. I'm in need of Jesus, Let me show you my own brokenness, my own wounds, and how much I am desperate for a Savior. And why don't you come along with me? It's not you need to change, or you need to do something better, or you're broken and you need Jesus. No, no, no. We're broken. We need Jesus. It's this beautiful understanding that the kindness of God goes way beyond just us being nice to people to actually understanding the depth of what God's kindness has done to us first. It infuses into our everyday reality because we first recognize how much we need Him. I need Him. See, it's interesting... uh, I always quote my wife in this regard, but she always says, sometimes the church has tried too hard to be Jesus instead of proclaiming to people how much we need Jesus. See, we are not called to be a perfect people We are not called to, I shouldn't say we're not called. We are called to be a perfect people. We're not called to be Jesus to people. We are called to show people Jesus. We're called to introduce people Jesus. We're called to say, look, I need Jesus. I need saving. I need grace. I need mercy. And it's in that loving kindness that we walk with people. Can I give you a modern day example of this? I uh, often at my church when I preach, I wear a hat. It's, uh, I wear a hat everywhere I go. I've even, I've walked past my own mother without a hat on and she didn't recognize me. Just right past me. Okay. It was so bad that this last, uh, two years ago, we took our church on a missions trip and a lady who had been coming to our church for like three, four years. We got to South Africa. One day it was super hot. I took my hat off and she's like, you have hair. I was like, yeah, I have hair. She's like, I've never seen you without a hat on. I'm like, that's fair. Okay. Now. I wear a hat even on Sunday mornings when I preach. I didn't do it this morning because I wanted to respect this community. But I'll tell you why I do it. There's actually a point to it. It's not just because I like wearing hats because they fit my head really good and make me feel comfortable. There's a deeper reason to it. When I was a teenager, I walked into a church once. I didn't know this church. I wasn't part of the community. I was visiting a city, and I just walked into a church. And the first thing that happened when I walked into this church is a lady came over to me and said, sir, you need to remove your hat in here. And I was thrown off. I said, I, I did take my hat off. I didn't say this to, to the lady. I just took my hat off and respected what was there. But I said, "You've made me feel uncomfortable. You've made me feel like I don't belong here. Like somehow, just stepping in these doors, trying to be who I am, you've already said you're not accepted for who you are. You're not. You you got to change to be a part of this community. You got to change to know the loving kindness of God. And it scarred me a little bit. It may be a little bit." bitter, to be honest. And now I wear a hat every Sunday because I want people, when they walk into our church, to see a pastor, hat, tattoos, whatever, and they say, I belong here. I can fit in here. I can be here. So the thing when it comes to the loving kindness of God is it removes us from the equation. It's not about us. It's not about our own biases. It's not about our own agendas. It's about His we had a church leader come and, and speak to our church today, and he gave us this really cool example. He's like, he's like, you know, most churches, if a visitor comes and they'll come up to you and say, hey, where's the washroom? The nice thing to do is be like, oh yeah, it's down the hall, just over there. He said the kind thing to do is to recognize that this person is new. They're maybe feeling a little uncomfortable. They're probably feeling like, I don't know where, where the space is, and I've got to use the washroom. The kind thing to do is to walk with that person. Say, let me show you. Don't go in the bathroom with the person. That's not what you're supposed to do but walk with the person. See, kindness sees beyond the surface. Kindness looks deeper into the heart of another person and sees them the way God sees them. That's why this is a fruit of the Spirit, because the Spirit reveals something in us that we can see beyond just the surface of what's going on in someone's life. I can't tell you how many students we encounter in our ministry in schools who come up to us and they want to talk about music and they want to talk about these little things, surface level things, and all of a sudden it's like the Holy Spirit just shows us the spirit of kindness and all of a sudden we're like, are you struggling with this? Is there some things going on in your life? You're, You're coming to me looking for attention that I can't give you. The only one who can give you that kind of attention is God. The only one who can really see you and what you need is God. See it's interesting because we live in a world right now that is just so divided. We live in a world right now where we're politically divided, we're socially divided, we're we are so there's so much tension in this world we live in, and I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful because the reality is this, the only thing that is going to break through that tension is the loving kindness of God. It's going to be men and women who recognize our own brokenness, our own need for a Savior, and choose to step in, that choose to see through the surface level of niceness and step into the kind, loving, grace-filled conversations that God is asking us to do. It's beautiful when we first see how much we need a Savior. See, because kindness sees past the exterior. It sees past the wounds, past the scars of battles, past the pains and hurts. It sees past all the divides. And it always sees into the future. That's what I love about Jesus. All of his interactions with people, his healings, his ministry was all about leading people to wholeness, to fullness, to grace, to mercy. It was always about seeing into the future for someone. Saying, I see where you're currently at, and that's surface level but let me show you where God is taking you. And that is what we have as the community of God, is to say, come, let us show you the future. Let us show you what a life of grace and purpose and hope truly looks like. These last couple years have been hard. Can I get an amen? They've been hard. We have been in this, this, this struggle of life. Can I do a quick poem for you guys before I end? Dear struggle, I'd like to take this moment to tell you that you're beautiful. Now many would battle to find that word usable or suitable to define you, and I have to admit, at first I didn't see it like staring at a graffiti piece. My mind had to fight to find the image so vivid, colors clashing, bashing my central nervous system, but then there. In the middle of the mess emerged a picture that seemed to pop off the paint, and my iris couldn't deny this struggle. It's frustrating the way you hide your beauty. You create chaos to help us see clearly. You shoot arrows so we see the necessity of shields. You burn bridges to teach us to swim and design devastation to build within ourselves the motivation. Your company has been the inspiration to push past pain and gain perspective, a new directive struggle. You are beautiful. Now don't get confused. You're not a girl that I'd like to marry. On the contrary, a friend. I don't mind stopping by from time to time as long as it's temporary. But please do knock. Stop just letting yourself in. It's called a door. And what's more is I hate surprises and I despise disguises. So stop showing up disguised as opportunity, like you're brand new to me. When you know full well what you do to me, you build me up just to knock me down, promise me smooth sailing just to watch me drown. You cloud my thinking, cause friction between my pride to go on and my fear to give in. You blur my sight, starve my fight, and it's only after you've left that my heart sees right. Struggle. You were never the enemy, always able to see what's ahead of me, building perseverance, character, hope through adversity. Your beauty is like an adverb to me. You modify my means, bring greater clarity to my dreams. Your hands hold understanding, demanding lessons to learn from. Your words are weighted in wisdom. Your darkness only accentuates the light, and your path promises to ignite a fight in my soul to never give up. Never give in, because without you struggle, I will never see success, never contest, progress. So consider this a love poem to you, my beautiful struggle. I think what this world needs the most when it comes to kindness is to help them see the beautiful reality of struggle. We can't make these last two years go away. We can't forget them. But what we can do is grow through them. What we can do is understand that even in the midst of pain and hardship and struggle, God is good. He's beautiful. He's mighty. And He is the one leading us. So when it comes to this fruit of the Spirit, is this reality of understanding that we first have to come to the cross. We first have to come before Him and recognize what He has done for us. That it's His loving kindness in us that allows us to be the loving kindness in the world. Okay, pray for us. Jesus, we come before you this morning. Lord, and we ask that you would reveal in us, Father, the areas of our own lives that we try to keep hidden from you. Lord, those own, our own struggles and fears and doubts that we try to keep back from, from you seeing them. But God, we come into this place this, this morning, Lord, asking that first you would show us your loving kindness. Lord, how you see beyond the surface of our lives. You, you see beyond the, the momentary distractions, Lord God, and you see our hearts. And Lord, to our hearts you speak that there is no shame, there is no condemnation. Father, but that you love us, that you see us, that you have a hope and a future for us. God, would we recognize first your kindness towards us, that while we were a long way off, like the prodigal son, you ran to us. You demonstrated your love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died thank you Jesus for seeing us our hurts our pains our fears our doubts and coming and being kind to us and in that place Lord God may we go and and model that to this world may we go and step outside these walls and may we be the people of God who are kind who see beyond the surface level that go way beyond the nice that walk with people, that journey with people, that help people realize the beautiful struggle that this life is, that there is always hope, there is always beauty, there is always love to be found in you, Jesus. Lord, would we see this fruit in every area of our lives as husbands and wives love each other, as mothers and fathers love their children. Lord Father, as we go into our workplaces, as we go into our schools, as we go into our camps, Lord God, may we understand that it is this fruit of kindness that can radically transform a world so divided. Jesus, we trust you. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you guys are awesome. I hope to see you guys out at camp sometime this week. It's going to be incredible. Um, you guys are, um, are awesome, and we hope to chat with you out there in the foyer, and we'll see you. Well, we won't, I won't see you next week, but the staff here will see you next week as you carry on your Fruit of the Spirit messaging. Sweet. See you guys.